God has given you at least one spiritual gift um, to use. Um, I believe that God gives us multiple gifts, but at least one. I think one dominant spiritual gift. And he wants you to use that for the building up of the church, right? For the health of the church. Uh, One aspect of stewardship is how you spend your money. Where you invest your money. You know, there's three ways to look at your wealth. What's mine is mine. That's the first mindset. You can live life with, you know what, like a little kid does, mine, right? Isn't it amazing, you know, parents, you know, you have kids, you don't have to teach them mine, right? You got to teach them to share. Hey, you know, share your Legos, share your toys, share your dolls, right? It's innate in all of us to be just downright selfish and stingy, right? Right? It just is, right? It's just a part of human nature. What's mine is mine. Clenched fists, this is mine. I'm not going to share it. I worked hard for it, or I found it in the toy room. What's mine is yours. That's the second mindset. You have what I want, so I'm going to steal it. Or I'm going to borrow it and forget to return it, right? Anybody guilty of that, right? You borrow something, you forget to return it. That's stealing, y'all. All right. I told you it's your lucky Sunday. Lucky Sunday, you know. Those who, those who are hanging out at home, they got it easy today, all right. Third mindset, what's mine is his, and I'm going to share it. What's mine is his. This is the concept of stewardship. You know, stewardship is really kind of a, an old school, traditional word, but it really is talking about managing our money wisely stewarding God's resources in our life. Stewardship is a countercultural way of seeing and handling and managing your wealth as revealed by the God of the Bible. If you begin, to, if you begin with the, the, the major you know, premise, everything, everyone belongs to God. If you can begin there, and if you can believe that by faith, I'm here to tell you, That will change everything. It's not yours, it is his, right? And I'm here to share it. Did you know that there are more promises connected to living a generous life than anything else in the Bible? You know, why does the Bible talk so much about generosity? I think really two simple reasons. Number one, God is generous, is he not? He's a generous God. He's a good God, right? And and because God is generous, right, he wants us to be generous like him. He wants us to reflect his character and his attributes. He wants us to be like him. The second simple reason, second thing, is giving is hard. There's really no amens on that, but that's true. Giving is hard, right? Sometimes it's easier than other times. Sometimes it's like, man, you're ready. Open hands, you're ready to be a blessing. You're ready to give, right? You're ready to send maybe a a young adult on a missions trip. You're ready to give a camp scholarship. You're ready to give to the building campaign, right? Other times it's, "Ah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to let go. You know, I I feel maybe I'm giving too much. Giving is hard because it challenges our selfishness. I want us to, I want to lay some groundwork um, on, on, this, on this thought. I'm going to give you five points. Here's point number one. 
Pull out your notes. If, if you want to take notes, follow along. The great thing about taking notes, you know exactly when I'm ending the message, all right? There you go. So some of you are pulling it out right now. Here we go. Point number one, God promises good things will happen to me. That's a promise. That is a promise. Let me show you where the promise is. Proverbs 22.9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Bountiful eye or a good eye. Those who are generous with the poor, God says, you know what? You're going to be blessed. If you want God's blessings on your life, here's the deal. The key to unlock all of God's blessings on your life, it's very simple. It's generosity. It's generosity. Acts 20, verse 35. In all these things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, get ready, ready for it, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said, it is better to receive than to give. Okay, thank you for the correction here. Appreciate that. No one else wanted to chime in except the first two rows here, right? Extra credit points for this section today, all right? No, it's better to give than to receive. You remember, remember when you were a kid? You know, you're like, you're like a little kid. You know, you, you're ready to get. You're ready to get, man. You're not ready to give. You don't want to give. You want to get. You want the presents. And it's just not enough, right? Gosh, I remember when our kids were really little. I mean, just super tiny, like, like toddlers and stuff. We, would, like, we planned, you know, got these gifts for them, wrapped them up. And then they would just like blow through these gifts. I remember when Grace, she had to have been like two years old, she was more enamored with the wrapping paper and the bows than the actual present. I looked at Kenneth and I said, what did we do wrong? We could have just gave her wrapping paper and a beautiful bow, right? But when you're a kid, you're just focused on, on, on getting and hoarding, right? But as you grow up, as you mature in Christ, your heart, your desire changes. It switches. God does a, a, a work of grace in your life. You see the greater blessing as giving rather than receiving. Proverbs eleven twenty five. 25. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. Anybody want to be enriched? Well, he's, it says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. Oh, man, that's good. You know, when I think about, you know, the one who waters will himself be watered. You know, there's nothing better than working outside and getting your hands dirty. That's just, you know, I work with my brain, with my head, right? And so there's a lot of brain power or sometimes lack of brain power. And, uh, you know, office job, right? But I like to play with my hands. I work with my head, play with my hands. Maybe you work with your hands, and so you like to play with your mind. It, it, it's generally the opposite. And there's been, gosh, I could just count, tell you countless times going outside, just checking out, right? Just doing some landscaping, you know, cutting some bushes, right? Just, just you know, putting in fresh mulch. And you spend hours out there and you're just dripping with set, sweat and you're, and you're tired and you're just like, ah. Oh. And then Candace comes outside with a cold Arnold Palmer. I mean, a cold one, man. You know, she hands that to me, and it's like I take a big gulp of that, and I just feel so refreshed. 
The Bible says spiritually when you bless someone, I think of it like a cold cup of water. God's going to pour a cold cup of water on you. You want God's blessing upon your life? Be a blessing and cultivate. I think this is key. Cultivate. This is not a one-time deal. It's cultivating a lifestyle of generosity. It's not a one and done, right? You know, it's, it's cultivating this lifestyle. Here's point number two. God promises he will bless my work and business. Did you know that if you live with open hands and you put God first and you trusted God with your resources, he's going to not just bless your life, he's going to bless your work, he's going to bless your business, he's going to bless your, your investments. Look at Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. This is like super, uber, duper clear, right? I don't know if I could say that 10 times in a row, right? Proverbs 3, 9, 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. Circle that word first fruits or underline it. Put a star next to it, right? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. All right, this morning, anybody got a barn or a vat? Anybody? Nobody? Nobody's got a barn? No one's got a vat? Oh, come on, right? The biblical context is they were an agricultural society. Most of these people were farmers. Barns and vats represented people's work. It represented their livelihood, their business, their investments. God is saying, I will bless your work, your business, your career, your investments, and how you make a living if you honor me. Who doesn't want God to bless their work and their business? Here's the principle. Write this down. Honor God and he will honor you. You know, in this passage, there's a premise and there's a promise. The premise is honor God with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, I don't want to take a detour. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but um, some like theologians, like church historian researchers, they've said that in the Old Testament, typically, most likely, the tithe was somewhere around 33 to 35% because they tithed off of everything. And so when we talk about 10%, people start complaining. It's like, don't complain. I mean, you could be stuck in the Old Testament giving 35%, one-third of your income. We're going to come back to that in a moment, right? It says first fruits, which means first and best. Here's what, here's what God's saying. I want your first fruits. I want what's first and best. I don't want your leftovers. Anybody know about leftovers? I'll be honest with you. I can eat leftovers, but I'm not a huge fan, right? I like, I like fresh Meals, it's fresh, it's hot. Now, I don't mind miking something up, right? When it comes to giving, God's like, I don't want your leftovers. Don't mic it up. God's like, listen, I want first and best. First fruits is the language of tithing and giving and generosity. The word tithe, it's the Hebrew word, which means 10%. You give God the first 10% of your income. Here's the deal, the tithe, comes right off the top. It's first place. It goes back to God. The reason I say I use the word back is because 
it all belongs to him. Remember that? Right? He owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he owns the hills as well. Right? He owns it all. Here's what leftovers looks like. When, when you give God leftovers, here's what it looks like. You earn money and then you enjoy it. Right? You plan those vacations. You save for those vacations. Right? You enjoy it. You spend it on yourself. Right, to make your life more comfortable. And then what you do, you repay debt. You know, you got bills, you got debt, you're paying that off. And then you put away a little bit of savings. And then, with what you have left, then you decide how much you're going to give to God. That's leftovers. If that's the order in which how you handle your money, it's all out of whack. You don't give from the bottom. Listen. You don't give from the bottom. You give from the top. You give first fruits, right? This is, this is a test of trust. It's a test of spiritual maturity. It's a test of, listen, where, where do your priorities lie, right? What's, what's most important to you? And so we don't want to give God leftovers. Check out the promise. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God is saying so clear, I'm going to provide abundantly for you. I think God is saying, you're going to have more than enough. Right? It sounds like a great promise to me. Amen? Here's point, here's point number three. God promises, I will end up with more. I will end up with more. We're going to talk about that. How do you end up with more when you're, when you're giving God 10%? Proverbs eleven twenty four, One gives freely yet grows all the richer, okay? doesn't say one plays the lotto and yet grows all the richer. It says one gives freely, right? Yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. This is what we call the economy of God. We don't give to get because if we're giving to receive, the motivation is greed, right? It's not love for God. We don't give to get, we give to be a blessing. We give to be a blessing. We give to be, we, we say, God, I'm, I'm a channel, I'm a conduit, right? All of this belongs to you. I'm just stewarding what you have deposited into my life. It's on loan from you to me, and I want you to transform my heart so that I can be a giver. See, here's the deal. When it comes to the economy of God, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive them. God says, let's play a game. I'm going to give to you, and you're going to give to other people, and let's see who wins. That's what God's doing. In his economy, God's going to bless us so that we can bless other people, right? And in the end, in, and in the end we're going to be enriched. God's going to bless our lives. You know, I heard a story about a dad taking his son to McDonald's. And he bought him some supersized French fries. Anybody like McDonald's? Some hot McDonald's French fries. I mean, very few things in life beat a large Coke, regular Coke, not Diet Coke, okay? And some hot French fries, man. You know, in the Old Testament, it talks about this manna that they picked up every day. In the new heavens, new earth, I think that manna is going to be McDonald's French fries. I just believe it, man. You know? All right. So dad takes his son, gets him some french fries. 
The dad tells us, I'm going to get some fries today. The dad tells a story like this. We were driving back home and those things smelled so good in the car. That aroma was just, just filling the car. I reached over and took one little French fry out of my son's French fry and I ate it. My son got all upset. He said, Dad, you can't have that one. These are my fries. I immediately had three thoughts. First, I thought my child had forgotten that I am the source of all fries. I brought him here. I took him to McDonald's. I made the order. I paid for the order. I handed them to him. I'm driving him back home. He wouldn't have any fries if it weren't for me. The only reason he got any fries was because of me, the great fry giver. He said, the second thing I thought is my child doesn't realize I could take them away in a second if I wanted to. Or on the other hand, I could buy him an entire truckload of fries if I wanted to because I have the power to do either. The third thing I realized is I didn't need his fries. I could easily get my own. I could buy myself a hundred packs of them if I wanted to. I just wanted him to learn to be unselfish. There's three lessons that God wants you to learn about this dad, the great fry giver. Number one, God says, I want you to remember that I'm the source of everything you've got. You would have zip, zilcho, nothing. You wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for me. I chose to create you, and I've chosen to give you all the things you've got in your life. Number two, God says, I could take it away from you just like that. Or I could double it just like that. Because I've got the power. And then number three, God says, and I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. If you're a Christ follower, I want you to hear this. God says, I don't need your fries. I don't need your fries. I don't need your money because I'm not poor. I just want you to learn to be unselfish. I want you to learn to be generous. I want to develop your faith. Luke 6, 37, 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The image here, I want you to, Understand the image here, because this is so good. I wish I had like a bag and I had beans and I could visually, you know, show you. The image here is putting grain in a sack. Putting grain, just filling the sack, right? Jesus is like, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, right? Get it all in there, right? So you can get the max amount of grain in the sack. God's promise is, I want to give you so much that you gotta press it down. You gotta shake it together. You gotta make more room because I wanna give you more than your sack can hold. Can I get amen? This is what God's saying. Good measure, press down, shake it together so I can give you more. We miss the blessing of God upon our lives when we're stingy, when we hold on to our money, 
And we're not willing to live with open hands and an open heart for the kingdom and the glory of God. Your life is going to end. You've got 60, 70, 80 years at best. I mean, if you're lucky, your face may get on the jam jar at 100 years old. If you're lucky. What do you want people to say about you? There are some men in our church that are so incredibly generous. Men and their wives. And I've, I've, I've got a, a, a sneak peek into their lives, a sneak peek into, in, in, into their generosity. And I'm going to tell you right now, as a pastor, it's changed my life. I've been around quite a few generous people since I was a, a, a young boy. God was calling me into ministry. And I would look at each and every generous person and I would say, God, I want to be just like that. I want to be just like that. And so when it came to these two big remodels that we did, we remodeled the worship center and the patio, and then we came to the kids' building, and we remodeled the kids' building in the youth space. You know, God challenged me and Candace to, to give above and beyond, to lead by example. You know, if I'm going to preach it, if I'm going to teach it, i got to live it. And God has changed my life. And I truly believe the words of Jesus are true. It is better to give than to receive. God's saying, listen, man, I'm pouring grain into your life. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. I want to put more grain in your sack. I want to give you so much that, that, that you'll, you'll have more than enough. Notice what it says. It will run over and be poured into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. How you bless other people, I believe, is how God's going to bless you. I think it's a spiritual boomerang promise. What you give is going to come back. God is waiting and watching for you to be generous, to reflect him in your generosity. How are you giving to other people? Here's point number four. God promises to meet all my needs. That's good to know. That's really good to know, church family. Maybe you're like, you know what? I'm not drowning in debt. I got bills just coming at me. I don't know how I'm going to survive. I'm, I don't know how I'm going to make it another week. I can tell you this. God promises to meet all your needs. Right? Sounds too good to be true, right? God says, put me first. Be generous. Be, be open-handed. Not clench fists. And I will meet all your needs. Philippians 4, 17 and 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's doing. And you may not remember, but Paul is writing to the church of Philippi that he helped plant, and he's thanking the believers there at Philippi in Asia Minor for supporting his ministry. The book of Philippians is actually a thank you letter. But it's also a plea for unity. He's addressing some unity issues in the church. God will supply every need of yours. God promises to meet all of your needs. He does not promise to meet all of your greeds. And I think we switch needs and wants. We, we switch those things. We expect that God's going to not just take care of us, but he's going to give us all of our hopes and dreams and wishes. God says, no, I'm going to meet your needs. 2 Corinthians 9 
7 to 8 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul is saying, let me tell you how not to give. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give from a, from a posture of sorrow, uh, from grief or from pain. You know, some people see giving as painful. It's so painful, you know. And people say, well, you know, you know some people say, well, I give until it hurts. No, you give until it feels good. Sometimes giving is seen as duty. It should be seen as delight. Paul says don't give under compulsion. That, that means don't give under pressure. I would honestly tell you, never, ever Give to God because you feel pressure to give. Because when you do that, the motive is off. And I don't believe that God can bless you. I think God is looking at the heart. He wants pure heart, pure motives. And so we give because we love God. We give because we're in love with Jesus and we believe in the local church and we want to advance the gospel and the mission and the kingdom. Paul says, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is how we give. Right? We give willingly. We give cheerfully. The, 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 the Greek word cheerful, uh, you've probably heard it probably a hundred times, is the word hilarious. It's where we get our English word hilarious from. So literally, Paul's saying giving should be fun. Giving should be a delight, right? It's, it's, it's entertainment. Hey, greeters, ushers, let's take an offering. Let's go right now. Let's, do, let's take an offering right now, right? It should be fun to give, amen? Cheerful giving from, comes from the inside, not external. If you're gonna have all you need at all times and all places, you put God first. You know, God blesses you for one main reason, not to hoard, not to spend on yourself, but to abound in every good work. I think we get so caught up in, in wanting more and chasing this and chasing that. I think we can get so deeply entrenched in financial goals, we miss, we lose sight of the most important thing. And that is using your money to reach people with the gospel, which is gonna outlast you. It's gonna outlast you. Because when you die, you die with open hands. You can't bring nothing with you, right? People are so consumed with, with materialism and, and hoarding up. Listen, the antidote to materialism is generosity. If you struggle with greed and having a materialistic heart, just start giving. Just start giving a little bit more and, and a little bit more and a little bit more because the antidote is generosity. That's how you defeat. That's how you defeat materialism. Every time you're generous, you have a spiritual victory in your heart. Every time you're generous, your heart grows in faith. It doesn't shrink, but your heart grows in faith. Every time you're generous, you break the grip of materialism on your life. I want you to write this down. You can give by reason or revelation. You can give by reason or revelation. Reason, you look at your bank account and you ask, well, what can I, what can I afford to give? Right, that requires no faith at all. It requires no faith at all. Revelation, you say, God, how much do you want to give through me? And that requires faith. You know, when it comes to giving, people make excuses for why they don't give, why they don't tithe. Here's the first one. I can't afford to tithe. People say, well, I just can't afford to tithe. 
you can't afford not to give to God, right? Don't you want God's blessings on your life? When you start trusting God with your money and you start tithing, you move from a scarcity mentality to a generosity mentality. People say, well, I would give if I had more. That's not true because you're not giving now. And for for most people, more equals more bills and more debts. Tithing is Old Testament law. Fill in the blank. It's Old Testament law. This is is an excuse that people make all the time. Actually, tithing is pre-law with Abraham giving Melchizedek a tithe in Genesis chapter 14. So when people say, well, it's law, no, actually it's not law. Tithing is optional because now we're under grace. We're under a new covenant. We're not under the law. And the popular passage for this is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And people hang their hat on grace giving. But here's the deal. I think Paul is making a very strong argument that our giving should be systematic. It should be proportional. It should be regular. It should be regular. It shouldn't be once or twice a year. Right? I'm just throwing a little bit of money in the plate. No, it's, it's regular. It's sacrificial. It's generous. It, it comes from a willing heart with a cheerful attitude. Here's the, the next fill in the blank. Jesus didn't speak about tithing. People say that all the time. Jesus didn't touch on tithing. Well, actually he did. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe men and deal and and, and, and cumin and, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, the Pharisees were giving their money without giving their heart. And Jesus said, they're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. He's warning the Pharisees against using the tithe as a religious cover-up for injustice and lovelessness. Jesus is saying there are needs in the community and love and justice requires you to meet them, but you refuse because 10% is enough in your eyes. Did you catch what Jesus said? These you ought to have done. Here's our last point. God promises to tie his blessings to generous living. Now, when I read this passage, here's what I want you to do. I want you to envision the living God right now, through his living word, speaking to your heart right now. It's not me reading it. It's the Holy Spirit whispering these words to your heart. And I want you to just open your heart, open your mind. Okay, God, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? Malachi the last living prophet to the nation of Israel, the last book, the last prophetic voice before there was 400 years of silence, before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Malachi chapter three, seven to 11. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. 
If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the first fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. God tells the people, because there was just massive, just like idolatry. There was idolatry. Um, uh, people were, there was syncretism run amok. God tells the people, return to me, and I'll return to you. Isn't that beautiful? Just real quick, you may feel like you've taken 10,000 steps away from God. But I'm here to tell you, in a moment of confession and brokenness, if you turn to God, he's there waiting for you. He's there waiting for you. God's saying, return to me and I'll return to you. And, and the people say, well, how shall we return to you? And God says, will man rob God? The word rob here means to, to mug. It means to oppress. It means to pillage, plunder, take by force. God is telling the nation of Israel, you're, you're robbing me. Like you're, you're, you're plundering my stuff. You're, you're, you're taking what belongs to me and, and you're using it for yourself. And the people are saying, well, how in the world are we robbing you? And God says, in your tithes and offerings, in your lack of generosity, in your refusal to give back to me what is rightfully mine. We talked about this earlier. The word tithe, it's the, the Hebrew word for 10%. Tithing is not a legalistic issue. It is a biblical issue. Tithing is not a legalistic limit. Like if I do this, then I'll be right with God, right? Tithing is a, a baseline. It's a beginning. I think it's the biblical rule of thumb. It's a good place to start a life of generosity. Tithing should not be seen as the ceiling, but as the floor. It's the starting point. It's, it's really the on-ramp to a life of generosity. You're not generous if you're not giving more than 10%. You're not living a generous life. You're just not. Because there are offerings, there are needs, there are people that, that need to be blessed, right? I think tithing is, is gets you to a point where you can live a generous life. God says, 10% is mine and 90% is yours. Now, why does God say that? And I bring this every time, I, every time, I bring a stewardship message. I always pose the question, why does God ask for 10%? And I give the usual answer, beats me. Beats me, I don't know. I mean, there's just some things in the Bible I just don't know. I, I don't understand it either, right? But he could have said, I want 20, I want 50, I want 90. I want all of it because it all belongs to me. But just like the dad who was the source of all fries, God is the source of all spiritual blessings. God doesn't need your money. The entire universe belongs to him. He's the owner of it all. I mean, at some point in the future, the earth is gonna be either completely renewed in all of its glory, or it's gonna be completely destroyed, and God is gonna usher us into the new heavens and the, and the new home. The new earth and the new heavens, our eternal home, right? So why does, why does God say this? Well, I think God wants us to be generous, and you know what? He wants us to trust him. Look at verse 10 of Malachi 3. Let me read again. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. 
and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Storehouse, food in my house, it's an act of worship. This is an act of worship in the house of worship. Let me say this. Let me be really clear here. I'm going to be super clear here. Charity, giving to charity is not tithing. Giving to charity is above the tithe. Giving to charity is a good thing, but it's called an offering. God says, test me. This is the only time in the Bible where God says, test me. Put me to the test, and, and I'll show up. Right? I'll, I'll, I'll prove that I'm real, that I exist. God's like, give me 10% of your income, and watch how I'll bless your life. God is not a pinata. Sometimes we want to treat God like a pinata. I'm going to take this tithing stick, and I'm going to hit God so hard, all of his goodies are going to just rain down on me. He's not a pinata. He's the creator God of the universe. He's the author and finisher of our salvation. Right? He has redeemed our soul. We give because we love him. Do I believe as we're loving him, as we're pursuing him, as we're giving Right, We're living radical, generous lives. Do I believe that God blesses us? 100%. But I don't believe, I don't believe in this like prosperity theology. You give God 100, he's going to give you 1,000. And he just wants your pockets lined with money. Here's the deal. I believe in generosity theology. Generosity theology is, is, is basically this. You give because you're in love with Jesus. And, and when you you give, you're blessed, you're enriched, and God pours his blessings into your life. Let me end with this thought. You only believe the parts of the Bible that you actually do. You only believe the parts of the Bible that you actually do. When the Bible tells you to love your enemies, forgive those, do you forgive people? As Christ followers, we should forgive. That's what the Bible teaches, right? Bible says use your gifts for the edification of the church. Are you using your gifts to build up the body? The Bible says to give. Are you giving? Are you being a blessing? God is not concerned with how much you know, but how much you do. He's concerned with how much you do. You see, Jesus said it on one occasion, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I think one of the ways we demonstrate our love for God, we live with open hands. We love the gospel, and we love Jesus more than we love our own stuff. We invest in the future. We invest in the eternal things more than the earthly things. Let's pray.